Let's say a word of prayer as we get ready to get in God's word. Father, um, <clears throat> thank you that we have your son. Thank you that you've called us out of darkness into your light. Thank you that we can come in here and uh, seek you. Thank you that in this new day, in this new year, that you are the same, that you are consistently the same, and that you have led us to you. You are always searching for us, and yet you make yourself readily available for us to find you, Father. Thank you that you sent Jesus as the path of life, Father, and we just praise you for it. We pray as we get into your word that your spirit will speak to us, speak to me, that your spirit will minister to us, and that we would be able to draw closer and nearer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Julian, um, I left my clicker thingy in my jacket. Happy New Year. Come on, You know, shout out to my wife. Um, in third grade, I was allowed to walk home from school. Thank you, Mark. And that was a big thing for me, you know? Tired of getting picked up in my mom's beat up Toyota. And the kids were heartless back then. They made fun of her car because it was kind of leaning this way. <laughs> so I was able to walk home, and even though it was a 20 minute walk, it was cool because I got to walk with the big kids in my neighborhood, the fifth graders. It was like, it was a really cool experience, and I was excited about it. And on my way home, I would always see this houseless guy. He, he was an ex-military guy. Um, he had a huge anchor tattoo on his left, um, left arm, left forearm. And at times he was peaceable. At times you clearly see something was challenging him, something was bothering him. And so every day I would walk home from elementary school from third to fifth grade, I would see him. And then in middle school, I continued to walk home. My middle school wasn't too much further away from where I went to elementary school. And as the years went on, he got a little bit more aggressive, but I would see him consistently. And up until high school, I would see him. And then in college, when I would drive through the community, I had moved at that point, but when I would drive through the community, I would consistently see him. He was right there on Northeast 6th Avenue, just like clockwork. I would consistently see him. So I moved up here, got a chance to live in um, Maine for three years, and I wouldn't venture through that part of town anymore because my family didn't live there, and that usually was not on a route that I would see when I would come back and visit. But Jules and I got married in 2014, and we moved back down, and I decided that I would go to a mall, a really popular mall, and go get some cologne because, you know, I want to smell fresh. I just got married. You know, soap does it, cologne does it even better. And so anyhow, I'm in the mall to go get some cologne. And I see this individual, and I'm like, he looks so familiar. Long hair still. I'm like, he looks so familiar. And then as soon as he's talking to someone else, I see the tattoo on his left arm. I'm like, that's the dude. He was dressed. He was clean. I was like, this is the dude. I was like... And so the whole time it's awkward. Now I'm kind of stalking him a little bit. Like he's over here doing it. I'm just walking behind him like, that's him. That's him. I didn't have any of my elementary school friends' phone number. I would have called him to be like, yo, that's that dude. Anyhow, so I'm walking and I'm following him for like 10 minutes, 10 minutes. He finally looks back and he's like, can I help you? (laughs) And I said, yes. You don't know me. I used to walk home from school. He's like, that's good. And I'm like, no, (laughs) that's not the point. (laughs) you used to be on the streets. He's like, yeah, I was on the streets for 20 years. And I said, what happened? And he said, 
he had an encounter with Jesus. You know, I'm a Christian at this point. I'm a minister and I expect miracles, but I don't expect miracles. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, what did Jesus do? Like, I believe in Jesus. What happened? And he's like, I would have to show you. I'm like, okay, maybe don't show me. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I want to see what you're talking about. But he'll say, not that I got to take you someone. I have to tell you my journey. I have to tell you my story. So he ended up sharing his testimony. Um, in 2012, a group of people saw him and they just committed to feeding him consistently for a whole calendar year. And they prayed with him for a whole calendar year. And then he got connected to that community. He gave his life to Christ. And then after he did that, he got connected to a rehab facility and all these different, different chains along the way. And so when I saw him in 2014, he was completely reoriented. And he said... When he was getting help in 2012 and he didn't know if anything can ever change, they kept encouraging him, don't stop believing, take it one day at a time. And he said, that's my ministry, one day at a time. So he, like, he comes to the mall that I was at just to go for a prayer walk one day at a time to talk to someone. He's like, he found in his experience, people are easier to talk to in the mall than they are just out and about. And so I was like, wow. I remember getting in the car and I'm like, Jesus still heals. He still heals. And, you know, I, I didn't know where my faith was at that moment about whether or not I could expect to see something like that. But it was powerful and it's still powerful to me. Mm-hmm. You see, the way of life leads to healing. Mm-hmm. Now, his journey took two years. It sounded like from when he started getting encouraged in 2012 to 2014. But the way heals. The way of life leads to healing. Mm-hmm. Now, I do want to throw out a disclaimer. It's important because sometimes we can hear these messages and we don't put the, the appropriate disclaimer. On the last day, when we come to be resurrected from Jesus, when he comes to call back all that are his, he will completely and utterly heal all people. We become a preview of that in the present, but sometimes certain things aren't healed after we make Jesus Lord. Sometimes certain things are, 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 are kept with us in this journey as we await the last day. And I think that's really important that we understand that because sometimes we have uh, expectations and when they're not met, we get deeply discouraged. Today we will look at the ministry of Jesus, which I believe is the way of life. I believe it with my whole life. The whole series' primary purpose is to look at the gospel of Luke and see that Jesus' ministry is the way of life. Today we're talking about Jesus being a healer. And I, I always click at the wrong thing. Like, it should be right there. Come on, man. My, my education <laughs> disappoints me. Um, but we're talking about the way of life. And so let's go to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Jesus is the way of life. This message is titled Healer. Um, Luke chapter 5, verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and they, try, and, and they tried to take him into the house to um, lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the towels into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been laying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen a remarkable thing today. Obstacles are opportunities of faith. You see, Jesus's popularity is soaring at this point. People are packing out houses to see who he is. Now, mind you, a house in that region during that time of the world would have probably fit 40 or 50 people. But that's still a good that's still a good sized audience looking for him. And so I suspect there's probably 40 or 50 people inside, probably the same amount outside. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law in this particular um, story are sitting. Why are they sitting? They actually want to learn what Jesus is talking about. Jesus inaugurated his ministry talking about the kingdom of God. And these religious leaders are like, okay, he seems to be someone or he at least conceives of himself as someone important. We want to sit and learn from him. And the reason I say Jesus was more than likely talking about the kingdom of God is because that was his primary message. He talked about the kingdom all the time. That was his number one subject followed up by money, then followed up by sin, funny enough. So Jesus is here practicing word and deed. He's proclaiming the kingdom, healing people, and they are being blown away and they're looking. You see, teaching and healing are a preview of what it's going to be like on the last day. They're taught the way of God and they experience this complete wholeness, this complete coming together. And then in verse 18, we're introduced to the paralyzed man. And he's confronted with an obstacle. He's paralyzed. He's laying on a mat. The house is packed. He doesn't know how long Jesus is going to be there. And he needs to be healed. He wants to be healed. He is seeking to be healed. I don't know if this happened anywhere else. But in 2006, Oprah, you guys know Oprah? Shout out to Oprah. When she, she's still on her health food kick, which is good. In 2006, she offered to get everyone free KFC when KFC released the grilled chicken. I don't know if you guys remember the grilled chicken. I don't even know if KFC still has the grilled chicken. I haven't eaten there in God knows how long, and I don't know if I'm going to eat there anytime soon. But the grilled chicken had like the green beans, it had the grilled chicken, and it had something else. And Oprah wanted everyone to have at least one healthy meal per day. And so she kind of did this vouchers that you could go to KFC and eat one free meal, at least in the city of Miami Gardens, once per day for two weeks. How did I find out? I'm sitting in my finance class, sophomore year of college, hanging out, and someone said, hey, KFC is giving away free food. And you know how that is when you're in a group full of college students. So everyone's like, free food, whoa. And like, where? Reach KFC. All of them. All of them. And then me and a couple of other classmates started on our journey, and we started to see the huge lines everywhere. 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 Even the KFC in the communities that no one wants to go into were filled. And so we landed on one particular spot, and it was, if you can imagine, Forest Avenue. You know how Forest Avenue stretches all the way that way, all the way this way? Yeah. Imagine all of Forest Avenue, as far as it's straight, is just stretched waiting for a free chicken. Wow. And so we got in line. We waited. We waited. 40 minutes later, we're still waiting. And then we sat back and said, honestly, we make more money than this. We could go get um, chicken somewhere else. 
But we kept waiting. We kept waiting. And we were finally like, we did it. And then we saw another huge turn. And so many more cars. I'm like, I'm discouraged, man. I'm out of here. So I never got a chance to get the free chicken. I didn't want it bad enough. If that was going to be my only meal, I probably would have waited as long as they needed me to wait. But I didn't want it bad enough. I was confronted with an obstacle to get free chicken from Miss Oprah. And I didn't want it bad enough. Jesus is developing this reputation as a healer and people are coming and they're like, I'm going to do what I can to be in the presence of Jesus. I'm going to do what I can to be close to Jesus. And when these friends of this paralyzed man saw that an obstacle was blocked, they determined that they wanted it bad enough. They determined that they were going to figure out how to get their friend to get healed. They said, hey, I got an idea. Let's tear the roof open. You know, poor guy, whoever house that was. You know, you're hanging out in that home and you see the roof getting ripped open. <laughs> and one person would just be complaining as they bring them down to Jesus. I'm pretty sure The Chosen has done an episode on this and it probably looked way better than what I'm describing. I haven't seen it, but I just can imagine how difficult that might have been. And they lower Jesus right into the middle. Think about the audacity of that. The people outside are like, we really want it. We're right here waiting for our turn. And you guys have the audacity to take your friend and lower him before Jesus ahead of all of us. What was everyone else thinking? What Jesus saw was very clear. He said that he saw their faith. I like how Nijagunte defines faith here. He says, um, when used in this way, faith represents a kind of divinely enabled extrasensory perception, a second way of seeing and knowing. One can have confidence in what appears invisible, not because it's mere hunch or opinion, because he or she has been given access to a perpetual key that unlocks a divine reality. What is Nijigunte talking about? He's saying like, man, more than likely these guys knew if they could get him in front of Jesus that he would be healed. They knew it, even though they had no evidence to the contrary. They could have gone through all of that and Jesus could have walked out and snuck out the crowd and no one would have been there. But they're like, they were fully persuaded that they could do that. In verse 20, it says, Jesus saw their faith. These friends believed so much that they were willing to be audacious and tear a roof open. And bring him in front of Jesus. And I think it's a combination of two. I think if the paralyzed man didn't want to be healed, the friend's faith would have not been enough. I think the paralyzed man had the desire, put himself at risk because he could have fallen through and really hurt himself. But he's like, I'll put myself at risk. They put themselves at risk to stand before the living God. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. You see, the friends had a faith that they believed wholeheartedly. They believed that Jesus was going to be able to heal them. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Have you ever slowed down and pondered this particular scripture right here? Fix your eyes on what is unseen. Think about fixing your eyes on something you can't see. Like, I want to focus on what I cannot see right now. And I want my eyes locked in on what I cannot see right now. Try that as an exercise of thought. And that is what Paul is calling us to do. That's challenging. 
That's challenging. But if we can understand that concept, if we can learn how to fix our eyes on what is unseen, then I think we'll be able to start having the faith that the friends had and this paralyzed man had because they were convinced of something. Because their faith, Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven. That was a response to their faith that their sins were forgiven. Now, again, he didn't come for that. It it would be very similar if I said, hey, I'm really hungry. I'm starving. I'm hungry. And I approach someone and like, Steve, your student loans are forgiven. I would say hallelujah. I'm like this food situation. I'm going to find someone else to feed me. But now I don't owe nobody any money. Hallelujah. That is exactly what happened here. He came for one thing, physical healing, and he got something greater. He got a spiritual healing. But what is sin? That's an important concept. Sometimes I think we can forget what sins are and what sin is. Sin is often portrayed in the Bible as an entity not dependent on human actions. Like it's a state of alienation from God, an impersonal force that's acting within us as people and, and, and society against God. And so sin is multifaceted. There's a lot of metaphors used in the Bible to describe sin. And we're going to look at some of them. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, it says, if you do what is right, Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must rule over it. So sin is depicted as this beast that's standing at the door of Cain's heart. And he's like, it wants to have you. It wants to seize you. Romans chapter 7, verse 11, it says, For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandments, deceived me, and through the commandments put me to death. So sin has this ability to grab you, put you kind of in a sleeper hold. He says, sin seized me and held me. James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. You see, that's the in progression of sin. That's where it's trying to go. It's trying to give birth to something that will kill you spiritually, and sometimes it will kill you physically. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. What do you get for sinning? Death. But here's the better part in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sometimes we need to focus on the but. B-U-T. We need to focus on the but the gift of God is eternal life. We need to understand the magnitude of sin. And what Jesus says here is your sins are forgiven. He's giving this person this gift of eternal life. Now, I'm not talking about ultimate salvation, but it was a quality of life where your sins are forgiven. Think about this amazing act of grace. Think about this amazing act of grace. This act is incongruous, incongruous, incongruous. I got it right. Think about it. Like they tear a hole in the roof. They lower this guy. He gets his um, sins forgiven and he gets healed. Does tearing a roof and lowering a guy equals I should forgive you for your sins and I should heal you? Not necessarily. If you tear my roof, you get a lawsuit. And I might give you whatever you came in for, I guess. It depends on how bad you wanted it, obviously. And so Jesus here responds in a way that isn't equitable. They did this small thing and Jesus is like, I'll do even more. 
when we think of grace, think about it like that, that Jesus' response is never equitable to our actions. Those of us who have said Jesus is Lord and got baptized, he's like, I forgive you, clean slate, give you my Holy Spirit. You're like, wow. Wow, that's amazing. It's not equitable. But those of us who still walk with Jesus and have challenges and we wake up every morning and say, God, have mercy on me. He's like, I forgive you. It's not equitable. God's grace is amazing. But why is forgiveness important? Forgiveness of sins is what is followed. What follows forgiveness of sins is renewal. Forgiveness of sins release us to worship the living God and renew us into the image of that God. Our sins weigh on us. They hold us back. They, they guilt us. You know, I, I could think of all the times where I've fallen short and I just felt guilty. I felt accused. That's, that's Satan's name, the accuser. I felt accused. I'm like, I'm, a, I'm an imposter because I did this, I did that, and they weigh us down. And if we don't take the teachings of Jesus serious where he says, seek me, ask me for forgiveness, we start to be weighed down. But once we realize we are forgiven, we do start to experience a renewal. We do start to experience this strengthening. And then we come into worship, into the living God, and we start to say, man, God is good, and this is how it should be. Jesus' forgiveness was pointing toward worship. That's what was happening here. He's like, I don't just want to heal you physically, because if I did that and didn't heal you spiritually, you wouldn't be ready for worship. You would be incomplete if I just did this component. Now, again, I want to put out before you, this is not an either-or situation. You know, sometimes we, 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 we could get concerned, like, man, forget if a million people are hungry. We need to preach that they need their sins forgiven, and they'll figure out where to find food. As long as when they die, they spend eternity with God, they'll die a little bit early because I didn't feed them. So that's good news. No, no. Feed them. Jesus actively showed what the kingdom of God was like by feeding people, serving people. But sometimes I think we could go on the other end of the pendulum and we're just like, I want to do this. I want to do that for you. I want to give to you. I want to. And I think that's good. But we don't actually show them that who Jesus is. And that's a huge part of shalom. That's a huge part of the healing that God offers. So peace with God is a big peace. And forgiveness of sins provides that. But it's never at a negation of our physical needs. We have seen a remarkable thing today. Let's reread um, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 21 to 26. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began teaching. Be, I mean, the Pharisees, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking of that. Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So, so he said to the para- paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them. He took what, had been laying, what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. The religious leaders pose an important question. Where did the Jewish people get their sins forgiven? At the temple, by the priest, in the name of God. Jesus said, friend, your your sins are forgiven. And he doesn't invoke God's name. He doesn't mention anything. He's like, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders are like, who, what? You were talking about the kingdom and now you seem kind of shady here. You see, Jesus, in a very real cool miracle, knew what they were thinking. You know, that's if I knew someone knew what I was thinking 24-7, I'd be like, you can't hang out with me during certain times. 
<laughs> Sometimes I'd be like left field. I'm like, man, I wish I was a Pokemon trainer. You're like, Steve, what's going on? <laughs> Your grown man want to be a Pokemon trainer. <laughs> I'm like, <"Hey." laughs> I do sometimes. <laughs> I was like, Pokemon Go, you know, when that craze came out a little bit, I was like, that should be real life right there, man. Uh, and then you'll probably lose respect for me. Me even sharing that, you probably already lost respect for me. That's okay. <laughs> but they could hear the inner, Jesus could hear their inner thoughts. And Jesus says, the son of man has authority to forgive sin. He is calling to mind this image of Daniel, where Daniel said on the last day during this beastly empire, there was going to be a kingdom that was going to be raised up. And Jesus is that person, this this one like the son of man. And he's like, I have this authority. Like I was telling you guys earlier, when I saw the guy. And he was completely in his right mind. He was having great conversation. He was doing incredible things. I said something remarkable has happened today. Now, it happened a while ago before I actually seen it, but it was remarkable in that moment. Jesus' healing draws our hearts. You know, this is the power of testimony. Like, many of you have incredible testimonies. This is the power of it. The power of saying, hey, I've overcome substance abuse. People who know you intimately, if they see you overcome substance abuse, they're like, Wow. I can't believe it. I've overcome alcoholism. I mean, honestly, pick any sin that dominates your life. There is a power in testimony that we can share how God has wowed us. We love hearing conversion stories or testimony stories of how we came to know Jesus because there's a power in that, like, wow, especially those of us who know people well. A couple of weeks ago, I was down in Miami for the wedding, and the guy whose um, marriage I was performing, oh, dear friend, studied the Bible with him, and, and, and we were in a, 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 a discipleship relationship for a number of years. And as he was, as his groomsmen were sharing, his best man was sharing, his future bride was sharing about him, and I saw all of this, and I was just blown away because, man, he, he knows, like, prior to the blood of Christ, what was said about him wasn't true. It wasn't true at all. It, it, so I was just sitting there, and I've been, I, I, I've been gone over here for two years and hearing how, I mean, a year and a half, hearing how much he's grown since I've been gone. I'm just like, wow, this is amazing. This is incredible how hard he has allowed himself to be worked on by the Holy Spirit. That testimony, as he was sharing, he didn't know he was increasing my faith. You know, sometimes you get discouraged. You get sit back and like, what am I doing this for? Does it make any difference? Is it helping? And then you hear this and you're like, okay, amen. Amen. It's it's doing something. You see, Jesus forgave this guy. He healed this guy. And he sent him home. You see, that's what it is to to, to be completely healed, to encounter Jesus, to experience that forgiveness. It's to be reconnected to, to, to God and to community. Look at all the healings in the Bible. 95% of those healings, there is a call to get back into community. There is a call for reorientation. This guy came there for one particular thing, to get healed. He had his buddies, I suspect four. I don't know if it was four. I don't know why I think four. I just feel like each person grab a corner and grab them on the mat. Could have been ten people. But I think it was four, and he got reoriented into community. When we see God transform people, we, we say we have seen remarkable things today. I think sometimes as, as, as we're following Jesus, the longer we follow Jesus, we can get jaded. We can look at our own personal transformations and get discouraged. 
We could look in the mirror and say, man, I'm not changing as quickly as I want. You're on nobody's timetable but the Holy Spirit's timetable. I'm, I'm not seeing these things happen. Some of us even like we start to get discouraged, but I would say consistently seek God. That's what this whole story is about. How, how, how did these four, now I keep saying four as if there was four. How did these friends and this paralyzed man seek this journey of faith? How did they do it? They were audacious. They fixed their eyes on what was unseen as opposed to what was seen. So how do we act in faith today? How do we do that? We've been talking a lot, and we will continue to talk a lot about community, spiritual formation. I think those are very important for us to be the people that God wants us to be. But we have to understand, sometimes when I I hear a lot about spiritual formation as someone who is studying it deeply and looking into it deeply, sometimes it could come off as Christian self-help. That's really not the goal of spiritual formation. The goal of spiritual formation is to draw you near to God and to be able to be a blessing to others. It is outward focus toward God into blessing toward others. So how do we act in faith today? How do we bring people to Jesus today? Prayer. I think it's never wrong to pray for someone. Never wrong. Now, if you're going to post those prayers on social media like, hey, I'm praying for you <laughs> without their permission, then that's kind of awkward. You should get their permission if you're going to jump on social media, tell them you're praying for them. You know, like this some random um, coworker or neighbor, hey, I decided that I'm going to let the world know that this is what I'm doing for you. A word of scripture. Sometimes, sometimes the Bible can be intimidating. So if you pull out a Bible when you're talking to a coworker, a friend, a family member, and that it could be intimidating. But sometimes you can have the scriptures on your heart. You can have them on your heart and you can share that. You can bring them closer to Jesus by sharing a reality from scripture. An act of service. Sometimes helping people, sometimes people need help. You know, they just need help, and you could just help them. You know, and, and, and again, I know sometimes it's really hard to help people when you're not slowing down, but we can help. An invitation to study the scriptures, an invitation to get closer to Jesus is always encouraging as well. But I want to pray for our imagination in this. Like, man, I want to bring someone to Jesus. I want to bring Jesus to someone. I want to bring the kingdom of God where I'm located. Sometimes we need to bring it to our married friends. It is hard. I, I, I was reading an article about New England. It's, I don't know what parts of New England. New England, the region of New England, is one of the most lonely places. It's because it's cold. <laughs> you don't want friends when you're cold. <laughs> Like, you kind of want them to teleport inside your house, but you don't want to go on the journey to go find them and meet middle ground. You're like, just come over here and let's try to find something warm. But New England, it's a lonely place. The sun goes down at four. It feels like that in your heart, too. You know, you like, you know, it's late. You know, like, I know all of you have lived here. Last year, it didn't hit me the way it hit me this year. I'm like, oh, the sun went away. My joy went away. <laughs> I felt it. Seriously. I was just like, man. It's like, I was so happy. And then I saw the sun descending. And I'm like, oh, I don't know, man. What are we doing here? I'm in my pajamas. I'm like, it's 4 p.m. I'm in my pajamas. Because the sun went away. If I have to fight harder and not let the sun dictate <laughs> when I put on my pajamas. <laughs> but it's a lonely place. 
It's a very lonely place. And people need relationships. And, that, and I think that's a way of bringing Jesus. Sometimes people just need to know how much you care about them and love them before you start evangelizing them, for sure. Again, you're on no timetable, so it's not like I'm coming up to you like, man, you've been friends with this guy for six months. They don't want to be a disciple yet. If you need to be friends with them for a decade, okay, amen. Love up on them. But I would just encourage you, you, don't, you shouldn't hide the Jesus component of your life. And let them decide whether or not that's what they want. But consistently be a friend. You know, family members, man, the holiday seasons, aren't they interesting? They're, they're interesting. You know, I talked about preparing for Christmas and what that was going to be like. You know, I'm pretty sure everyone has a Christmas story now. Some of you are grateful that that season is over and you got at least a year before you have to engage in it again. You know, we, we probably could huddle up and have a conversation about who had the silliest argument, argument award. <laughs> Jules and I were going over about what time we left the house. It doesn't even matter, but it did. And then we... <laughs> yeah, Tim, Tim didn't help the situation. <laughs> Tim was there. We were getting into that community group. Like, Tim, Tim, bless all the peacemakers, Tim. That's what we... <laughs> we'll pray, pray for our marriage. <laughs> but other followers of Jesus may need need your act of faith, you know? Sometimes, I know a lot of us have had really close friends who've helped us during really tough times spiritually. But it just felt like, I don't know, and then we have, like, this is what this story is about. Who, who can we be, that friend, to bring them to Jesus? And understand, Jesus' response is almost always the same. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Friend, let me heal you. Friend, let me do this. How do we act in faith today? Prayer. Sharing God's words. Active service. These are ways we can act in faith today. And this is the way of life, that we bring them to Jesus and allow them to experience the healing of Christ. We're going to have a reflection, and then we're going to pray for communion.